Hello. Hello. You are listening to This Is Awkward, the podcast about how to have difficult conversations. We are your hosts, Leanne Nicholl and Christy McLeod. Ever feel like you put your foot in your mouth more often than a contortionist? Or worse, say nothing at all when confronted with tricky subjects. We are here to help by dissecting what makes some conversations so difficult and how you can broach them. Life would be easier without awkward silences, faux pas and full-blown rows. We will be talking to some amazing guests who will recount some of their trickiest conversations and what they learnt from them. As well as offering some brilliant hints and tips on how to tackle some of life's most awkward topics. Time to fill those awkward silences. On today's episode, we are travelling down under to have a chat with gender equality activist and author Gina Martin. Gina first came to my attention when she successfully ran a campaign to make upskirting a sexual offence. This is after it happened to her at a festival. She is passionate about gender equality and, in fact, addressing all types of inequality and how they intersect. Gina has just released her second book, No Offence But, which tackles some of the problematic everyday phrases we encounter and how to challenge them. Cannot wait to get into this. Um, So needless to say, when we caught wind of the book, we were very keen to get Gina on to chat about how we can all begin to confront the things people say that help uphold and drive inequality. I love this concept and I think this episode is going to have universal appeal as so many of us end up either wildly frustrated when trying to call out old-fashioned and harmful phrases or perhaps even too uncomfortable and underconfident to even try. So Gina, welcome to This Is Awkward. Thank you for having me. Thanks for the lovely introduction. (laughs) So this is such a huge area to cover and, you know, we've only got you for a limited time. So for our listeners, can you give us a flavour of what they can expect from your book and and what you would like the book to achieve? Absolutely, yeah. Um, As you mentioned there, I started activism work, gender equality activism and organising in 2017. And what came with that was a lot of um, connecting to victims and survivors of sexual violence and people who were living under misogyny and struggling with both like the small everyday frustrations. So the kind of microaggressions and conversations around um, women and gender stereotypes and stuff they were hearing, and also living on the sharp end of the danger of kind of rape culture. And I was sort of instantly thrown into that in 2017 because as someone who was trying to change the law and upskirting it felt like I had to be deeply moored to and like connected to the very people that this law would hopefully give uh, more rights to and help Mm -hmm. and genuinely from that first week I reckon of doing that work which was July 2017 I think I've been asked like how do you respond to blank without losing it probably Mm a couple times a week maybe Um, and I think there's an assumption there was an assumption I mean it you know in 2017 this was the first I was working in an office in advertising when I started the campaign to try and change the law Um, and I started working in politics and you know I was working with a law firm and I was doing media strategy and like I was learning so much but I was so new to this and I was like a very um Uh, I guess I would say a very ignorant sort of white feminist who saw everything through, I guess, just my own experience and my own whiteness and was really trying to like break through those Mm. kind of ideas. Mm. Um, But everyone kind of just assumes, you know, the answer to everything because you're in parliament or you're trying Mm. to change law or so it, it really wasn't until about two years ago when I had a little bit of a gap in my work, which was created because we were living through a pandemic that I was like, I'd really, really, I was able to actually think about what I wanted to create instead of be, you know, moving fast with momentum because there was just so much work on. Mm -hmm. And there was just a moment where I was like, wouldn't it be so nice if I could just write something to help with like all of these DMs I get every day? Cause it's just all the time. And I just know that feeling so intimately that you've just described where you're like, I can't, respond to this constructively because there's too much emotion here and there's too Mm. much more to say and 
this platitude has flummoxed me because it sounds factual, but I know it's wrong and my instincts are right, but I don't have the language. It's really frustrating. So in this book, I took 10 phrases um, that were around gender equality and a couple of other things that I've been personally tussling with. Those are things like um, for the gender equality stuff, we have obviously things like not all men, um, boys will be boys. Uh, if you don't want attention, cover up. Uh, innocent until proven guilty, specifically being used in response to sexual uh, violence allegations or sexual assault allegations. Um, and then things like you can't say anything nowadays and mm. the government are doing their best and the police are here to protect us. And these phrases that we don't apply critical thinking to. Mm. And then I was lucky enough to ask, uh, have the opportunity to contact 10 other people that I really admire who are writers and advocates and activists um, to write 10 other chapters on the most common phrases by dominant groups that they hear. Mm. Um, and that's everything from like sort of complex nuanced ones like men are doing nothing to help uh, gender equality or feminism is about women having the same rights and power as men or I don't see colour. Um uh, sorry, two things like I don't see color or like disabled people are an inspiration. Um, mm -hmm. So this book ranges from phrases you might hear that are like significantly harmful and need to be put to bed to um, nuanced, complex phrases. But all of them, what they have in common is that they are just a barrier to constructive discussion. Like when they come out in conversation, it's very difficult to continue the conversation after that. And that's what this book hopes to offer in terms of uh, memoir. So I'll, I offer moments when I've come across these and how I've struggled personally because I think we need to see the people that we look to for inspiration or advice showing their mess ups and their struggle mm. and then there's essays that unpick where those phrases come from why we say them what structures they're rooted in and how we can think of replying oh I love this this mm. is basically <laughs> saying this is how to continue the conversation after it's been there's been an attempted shutdown um You've mentioned that the book is not just about you, it's about you and other people um, and their experiences and how they um, see certain phrases and would tackle them. But just coming on to you for a moment, what has been your most difficult conversation? I know that's tricky. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know that I could. There's a couple I could give you. But in giving them, I'd have to admit that there's just been too many for me to pick a particularly hard one. Because I think mm. the challenge of these conversations, and this is why there isn't a silver bullet or a one-size-fits-all response, and you'll see that in the book. I, that's how I approach this, is that there isn't this one response. There's ways to approach and think about. is because we're showing up to these conversations with different feelings, struggles, baggage, energy, every day you know and we're navigating these systems all the time and some days you feel like okay I've got it like I can do this today and other days you just can't even begin like you just don't mm. feel like you have the energy to begin I had a couple currently I mean there was hard things there was difficult conversations in terms of in politics when I was trying to change the law um mm. those conversations would were most difficult because in that institution you don't have conversations. You don't have honest, open conversations about these types of problems. You are, you know, a lot of the people in these positions are coming from, um, you know, debating societies and most of it's about optics and a lot of it's about, you know, political gain and everything kind of becomes a political football. So I found lots of meetings and conversations unbelievably frustrating in Parliament because they didn't, I didn't recognise them as conversations. They, they, I couldn't... I would be sitting there trying to explain to an MP how, you know, taking a picture up someone's skirt is so much more violating and so different to being in the background of a photo, you know, mm. and ultimately just really was hit in the face with how impossible it is to have like human, like real connection and conversation in, in politics because of the system itself is not actually about that. So I found that incredibly frustrating, but now I would say that this, the, the real struggle, where I struggle the most is with the pe with people that I love. And the reason is because when I go into a workshop or a session and I have to talk to someone who potentially is perpetrating harm of some kind, so I've been in schools and done sessions and had boys make rape jokes about me and all those kinds of things, mm. it's somehow easier to be able to uh, bring to the to the conversation or the facilitation, like the tools I have 
as a professional in this work, I don't know this young person. I don't have to, you know, their, who they are doesn't affect really my life. I get to leave at the end of the day and walk out the door. Mm. Um, but I think I struggle with people that I love who maybe aren't where I am and don't fully understand where I am. And I struggle with the repetition of having to explain that to people. Um, and it's just, I think that comes from a place of love, right? Like what I think accountability is actually one of the biggest forms of love. I think if you don't care about someone, you just bite your tongue and you walk away and you go, and you, you know, you bitch about them later. You don't make the effort. Accountability and having conversations with someone, removing shame, trying to center compassion, trying to be constructive and get them to understand something it's kind of the biggest act of love really. Cause it's one of the hardest things to do, but I just find I can't be articulate with certain people. I love, especially if they're men in my life that I love because mm-hmm. I'm still that 12 year old girl. I'm not Gina Martin, the activist. I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> single around people I love. I revert back to that kid in school. Who's like, no, it's actually really important. And I think you, I think <laughs> maybe you should, Oh God, I'm crying again. So I know <laughs> how that feels so much. and I'm getting better at that, but it's taken years for me to, really be able to have constructive conversations with the people that mean so much to me because there's so much emotional baggage there. That's really interesting. It actually kind of relates a little bit to something Christy and I were talking pre-recording. I have this same issue with people I uh, am close to in that I cannot articulate myself I can articulate myself really well in other circumstances but I can get so frustrated when these people who I I guess I assume are like me have had a similar upbringing to me have had similar influences to me and who I have such strong feelings for um, and I expect to respect my opinion and yet when I feel like I'm losing the thread or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not getting through um, or there's, you know, a lot of pushback, then I kind of, I get so frustrated that I just stop. I don't, mm-hmm. and, and that's why I, I loved what you're saying about continuing the conversation because these phrases are, in the book are phrases that I think a lot of us have heard so many times and they do shut things down. And at that point, I often do just stop. It's really hard. And also, do you so do you still get um, any kind of? Because I experience some kind of like physical reactions to this. Like, I can feel my throat constrict, or my, you know, my fists ball up, or I, I get clammy hands or a red face. Do you do you still get a kind of physical reaction to trying to have these really hard conversations? Absolutely, yeah. Every time, especially when they're emotional with people I love. I think we so often, we especially as women, we've grown up in a world where the gender hierarchies that surround us, the harm that comes from the cultures that we live under in a patriarchy have been minimized to us so repeatedly that we, it's completely normal. And we, we, we kind of live through, you know, we go move through the world as, okay, this is the kind of fee we pay for being a woman. And I don't, some of us get, are at the place where we're saying, and I don't agree with it, and I'm frustrated with it, and I want to change it, but I feel completely powerless to do so. Some of us are trying to brush off and not think about it because it's too painful. We're all in, there's not one woman, I believe, honestly, and not one person marginalized gender. And to be honest, also, like a lot with men, because they're wounded by patriarchy too, um, mm. who is managing this system well and being at the sharp end of patriarchy well as a woman I don't think there's one of us who's doing that so when we are faced with these phrases that either minimize or um question or mock or um you know make us feel like we're overreacting all that that feeling comes up there's that phrase you know if it's if it's hysterical it's historical right like we, we've been yeah. going we've been living this reality for our exact our lives and we've been minimizing it and dealing with it and so when you're faced with something that represents that and faced with someone who refuses to understand or in the moment can't understand an experience you have or a culture that's leading to that experience you do get a physical reaction because this is our nervous systems we're talking about you know like there's a reason we're walking home terrified at night like our nervous systems are high often a lot of the time because we're, we're, we've, we exist under some kind of danger all the time. And so that physical reaction comes for me in like getting hot and getting, I get like sort of a fluttery chest and I get really tense 
and it's incredibly hard for me to not for me to stop that coming out of my voice but actually the thing mm-hmm. I need to do the most is try and stay as uh, constructive and compassionate as possible and I don't mean that in a calm down um, way you might hear from men I mean for yeah. ourselves I want to be able to articulate myself clearly I want to I want to remember that what I'm saying is real that it's not a debate that it's a reality but that physical reaction I think is so normal because we've lived under this reality for so long and you're you're kind of being shown it's like you know the the symptom of it in the moment and you have to somehow prove to someone in that moment that it's real actually and that this is the reality and how exasperating when you've been living that for so long Mm. is there anything that you do that kind of helps with that side of things that helps you get back into a clearer headspace or um feeling cooler rather than too hot when you're having these conversations yes but it's taken a long time for me to get better at it and Mm. this is my job so I think it would be really easy for me to sit here and be like so these things can help but it's like I get to do this nine hours a day and practice this nine hours a day right like most people don't have that privilege um Mm. What's been the most useful for me? I mean, there's there's small things I do, like I do breath work stuff with my therapist. Um, I do like to do this really embarrassing thing. I always hope people can't see me doing it, which is funny. <laughs> which is where I like touch things around me and like name them. And the reason is is because I'm trying to get out of that fear center of my brain and into the frontal, more practical part of my brain. So I'm trying to um, activate that part of my brain that goes, okay. Let's think about very simple, practical stuff. Let's name things. Okay, I, I like touch my jumper and be like, oh, blue jumper, and I've got three of these in a different color. And I'll take a break and like a, a pause and say that in my head. And it just gets me out of this super fear-based, what if they don't believe me, I've proven this to now. Like, you know, I've got 200 years worth of history right now that I'm drawing on and like <laughs> seven years of research to try and say the right thing in exactly the right way so that this person can fully see me and this person can really connect to me and can understand it. And that's just not going to happen in one conversation. Mm. So what I'm best to do is like pause, take a moment with whatever I've been taught by my therapist and in my work. And then my approach has changed dramatically from, you know, three years ago. I'm training in facilitation now and I used to be like, okay, I'm going into this conversation too. I think you said a word there before where you said, can't remember where you said, I think you said prove or you said win or something. And I think that's really telling of how we feel we need to go into these conversations. Like this is a debate, this is an argument, I'm right and I need to win it. And I understand why, because it's real. But now I take a much more facilitation approach, which is much more of a, talking to the person indirectly about the why of of what they're saying rather than what they said. There was something that I saw in your book which really, really landed well with me, which was this point around don't you don't need to put an expectation on yourself that this one conversation that you have is the be all and end all of this and for people who haven't read it yet um can you elaborate a little bit more on what you meant by that and and what people can hope to achieve by broaching these difficult conversations yeah totally I think it's I don't know where it comes from but I think we've really internalized this idea that we have to like Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a bit of the like kind of online culture we have around kind of accountability has made it uh, even more marked, but you go into this conversation being like, it's my job to educate this person right now and get them to a point where they understand it. And I can't express to you more. That's not going to happen in one conversation. (laughs) I I write at the beginning of this book that might not, that is not going to happen in one book. You know, we have people who have committed their entire lives to writing, exploring, uh, doing you know activism grassroots doing it structurally they've done they put their heart and soul into trying to push forward the dial on these kind of attitudes and behaviors and they spend their whole lives doing it these are age-old struggles these are age-old um kind of ways of looking at the world mm-hmm. just in new clothes just in different phrases and so you're not going to go into a conversation and change that person's mind instantly but i think what's real can be really powerful and what I try to do is is recognizing that this conversation isn't just for the other person so you go into it being like 
my job here is to change their mind. No, no, no. Your job here is to supply a message that you really believe that you've experienced. And that's it. And if they don't get it now, that's okay. This You have mm. to play the long game. This This could be a conversation that plants a seed that they might see an article in three months and they might click on it because of the conversation you had. They yeah. might have a question of their friend they wouldn't ask before. They might watch a documentary they might not consider before. Or they might do nothing. And two weeks down the line, something similar like that might come again in the conversation. And I'll be just that less bit uncomfortable when you bring up this time. So being able to send to yourself, I think, in that conversation and be like, I do I have the energy to respond? Am I safe to respond? Yes, yes, tick, tick. Now that I know that, Am I, do I believe that this person has a capacity for growth and change? Because remember, we'd have to change everyone's mind that we come into contact with. That's another thing the internet tells you to do. And it's like, that's impossible. <laughs> like, I can't change everyone's mind. I'm not going to be like policing everyone I meet. Like, that's not how it works. <laughs> what I'll do is I'll go, okay, my dad is like a really compassionate, sensitive guy. Like he can get this stuff. I'm committed to having these conversations with him and he is too. My best friend, Ray, he can totally grow in this space. My partner can they're showing up and they're happy to do that. I've got those three people who I'm really going to commit to helping grow in this way and like learn about this stuff if they show up to do that too. I'm not going to try and like change the postman's mind. I'm not going to try and change the, the mind of every man who hits on me and is is rude. I'm actually going to save my energy and I'm going to show mm. up to, the, to, to kind of uh, quality over quantity. And when I'm in those interactions, I'm going to say, I'm doing this because this is an important message. I'm doing this because this is my responsibility because, for myself for my mm. own sanity. I'm not doing this to, to change your mind right now and make you understand. And this yeah. may be long-term, but that's okay. Yeah. I did wonder about like your energy levels with this, you know, this being the work that you do and like how you and others, um, especially the people that have contributed to your book, how you don't just get exhausted from having to repeat yourself, um, time and time again and with these conversations you you mentioned about feeling safe um so we're assuming that the person who is challenging um or kind of questioning these tropes and these old um phrases are we assuming that they have some sort of power i'm just kind of i'm thinking more about people in the workplace and calling out um phrases that they hear in the workplace i mean also at home i mean there can be unsafe power dynamics at home as well so are we assuming that that person has some sort of security when they're when they're challenging i think it's it's a pretty basic fundamental requirement for me when I'm talking about this stuff to make sure that people don't feel like they have to put themselves above a parapet when they're not safe. You know, like this book ultimately was written by me and my social location is there's, you know, I'm a white cis woman in the world. Um, so I'm looking here at like things that dominant groups are saying. So dominant cultures are saying. Um, and in mind, while I was writing this, I was thinking about, you know, the young woman who is sitting at the dinner table at Christmas and her uncle says something like this. And she feels like she wants to say something, but she doesn't really have the words, but she she's safe enough to and comfortable enough to. Um, but there are chapters in there from some of our amazing contributors that those phrases are rooted in violence, like they're rooted in racism. And you'll notice in, in they wrote their chapters as they wanted to write them. And you'll notice in their chapters that, you're going to read those chapters and those chapters aren't going to tell you to respond to these people. They're going to, they're going to um, be a resource that you can read and understand where these things are coming from. And potentially if you hear them, if it's something someone in your family says, you can maybe pass the book along, but ultimately safety is like the number one thing you have to feel safe. You have to feel comfortable enough. And that's a distinction I guess all of us have to make in the moment when we hear these things, who is this person? Who are they to me? Where am I? Yeah. Do I feel like they can respond in the moment to this? Is it worth my energy? Um, yeah. And by safe, we mean safe, safe is in terms of your physical health, your mental health, your, um, totally, yeah. Am I gonna, would I lose my job from saying this? Well then of course we're not going to have okay. to, but you're going to be, you don't have to call people out if you're going to lose your job. Like that's not what, this work is right are you uh, a trans non-binary person and you've heard someone say it at an event and you don't really know that person and you're feeling quite intimidated by them of course it's not you don't you would never 
be expected to say anything in those uh, situations. But what we, ho- what I would hope is that if I was there, if someone with relative privilege was there who felt safer, they would be resourced by reading something like this and reading other work like this, that they could offer something in response that would help either de-escalate or would help uh, educate in the moment. Because it's also about that like community of stepping up, you know, when you're in those situations, when someone doesn't feel like they can, there's also something you can do. And that doesn't have to mean, you know, calling out a lot in the book. I talk about Loretta J. Ross and her concept of calling in. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I I love that phrase. Could you expand on that a little bit more? Yeah, it's the concept of uh, keeping um, like constructive, compassionate discussion at the center of why you've decided to respond to someone. So we hear so much about calling out online. We should call everyone out for harm and da, da, da. And I understand where that comes from, but a lot of the time, um, shame is like a really bad blocker to accountability and people aren't ready to be accountable. And we, we see in, you know, I see in my work and especially with beyond equality, who I work with, who work with young men and boys around, you know, masculinity, toxic masculinity and patriarchy. There's a big difference in being able to call someone in. So more coming back with like questions than a fact to disprove what they're saying. It's more, I was wondering why you feel that way. I was wondering what it, what does fit, what does that look like to you? When you say this, when you say, you know, the police protect us, who is us? Like, Mm. I'd really love to dig into who that us is. Or um, when you say boys will be boys, like, what is the, um, what's the kind of makeup of boys that you're talking about? Do you think boys are naturally like that? Or do you think that's something that we maybe teach them? Not just, you can't say that, that's harmful. Like, boys will be held accountable for his actions, and then walk off. Like, you know, that's not really a discord. That's not really a constructive conversation. I have to strike that off my style. Like, okay, that's not going to work. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, these things are fun. They, they can be empowering. But, like, when it comes down to that person-to-person conversation, it's like these things don't tend to work as well. They yeah. feel great. They, they're awesome to have on your desk around your Mac to remind you to keep going. Like, I love that stuff. But, like, in the room, we mm. find those things don't work as well so calling in is more that questioning that like calm and compassionate discussion and exploring the why instead of what the person has said um and it's less the argument debate trying to win but more the why did we get here in the first place it feels like you're inviting somebody into the discussion rather than pushing them away and it feels like you're inviting them in to join the movement a bit more I think and like you said about having the conversation several times it might be that um initially when you're you know doing this calling in they might stumble and fall but like hopefully we have the compassion to help pick them up if they if they do that and I I think uh, you know I've been shamed for for things in the past you know ways I've voted which I'm <laughs> not going to announce right now but I've been I've been shamed for that and it actually it does push you away. Whereas somebody um, talking to you like a, a human with respect and, and being curious as to where you got your opinions from and not shaming you makes a huge difference, I think. And uh, I really appreciate that phrase. I think that's really, really helpful. There's a really beautiful quote from Bell Hooks that captures that whole feeling. Um, which I try and live my work by, which is how do we hold people accountable for wrongdoing and yet at the same time remain in touch with their humanity enough to believe in their capacity to be transformed? That's so important. I mean, I... I've found this conversation so helpful because before um, before we started recording, Leanne and I were chatting and we were saying we come at this from quite different ends, ends of the spectrum, really, whereas... Leanne's alluded to the fact, you know, she'll get so impassioned about something. Whereas I go to the other extreme, I have a complete crisis of confidence and I clam up completely. And then I berate myself internally for ages afterwards thinking, why didn't I call that out? And I, and I often find that my stumbling blocks are, I don't know what my arguments are to, to, to call this out, but actually this concept of calling in gives you such an arsenal to to work with doesn't it in terms of it just gently challenges but actually so you're not just letting something lie that doesn't sit well with you but actually you're inviting that moment to get someone to question 
where those where those beliefs are coming from. And I think in terms of all those lovely things that you've said, Gina, about when you are feeling empowered to to open up these discussions, to always remember to be empathetic and have you know essentially some some compassion and kindness at the heart of what you're what you're doing is is the most practical way to to broach this so thank you very much for <laughs> for all of those absolute gems yeah as the person that normally just sits there and feels very very uncomfortable I, I now feel and I hope some of our listeners do too I now feel definitely like I have some um, resources to lean on have you got any other of uh, any other of those sort of guiding questions that you would recommend it would depend on the phrase we're talking about I guess but my kind of fundamental um advice would maybe be we've to to respond with the why and to and to give statements with an i which we do a lot in our work which is so often in these conversations we want to be like you this you that da, 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 and we want to like point the finger and there may be harm there that's not to say that there isn't um mm. but it's really important to be like i don't feel comfortable with that because abc i feel this way and i found when I've been in these conversations, I've really struggled to respond because I'm so emotional about this. And and like when you when you can actually be courageous enough, I think, to respond like that, you give someone a permission slip to not have to argue and win back at you because they see your vulnerability and they're like, okay, cool. So we're in something real now. This isn't just like a fact one-upping thing. Yeah. Um, so I think that kind of op- inviting someone into an opportunity to be able to sort of explore and grow with you in the discussion mm. rather than try and win is important. Having yeah. said that, there are conversations and phrases in this book where, you know, and it's and it was hard to write this, right? Because like I was writing it half the time being like, no. And then the other time being like, no, Gina, remember. Like I was doing that myself <laughs> while I was writing it. Um, but ultimately, the, you know, you, you, I find you, you, you gain the tools to respond. No, actually this isn't about responding with the right thing to say it's about being able to respond with your integrity like in how Mm. you feel and calmly because it's all about integrity it's not about winning it's about you delivering a message of how you genuinely feel and have experienced the world and you only are able to do that I feel when you felt held and seen enough that you've gained confidence in the very real things and opinions things that have happened to you and the opinions you have about those things so like I've only become better at doing this from reading bell hooks and like being mm. spending time with people like that, who I could read, listen to and help unpick how I felt about these exact topics. So that when those conversations came up, it was like, no, I'm not some, like, I'm not an idiot who's just too emotional and doesn't really know what she's talking about. Like the world may have told me since I was a small girl, you know, I have bell hooks behind me. I have, these theories that make so much sense to me and I can draw on that and I can, like I just quoted her to you because she is one of my biggest uh, teachers. Mm. And so in those conversations, we can do that too. And it, we've, we are much more resourced if we're spending the time to try and understand our own experience. When we come to these conversations, I think we can come to them more confidently. Mm. Is there a phrase that you, um, that a person who is just starting out on their kind of, I don't want to say journey, but I'm going to say journey (laughs) on their journey of recognizing and addressing these inequalities. So somebody who's potentially a little bit shy or underconfident, but really wants to go there, but may not be able to give like a a full speech or quoting facts, but maybe just a phrase about letting the other person know that what they've said isn't okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big believer in that makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I'm also a big believer in not saying anything. And I think we always skip over that because we feel like we're not doing enough, but a well-placed silence is is actually really powerful. I think as women, often we will kind of brush stuff off and laugh because we're uncomfortable. We don't want things to escalate. You know, you have, you're around a group of your, your male friends and there's a guy in there that you don't know very well and he says something sexist or misogynist or he does a not all men or a slut-shaming thing and people laugh, I think a a kind of well-placed, slightly too long silence takes a lot of confidence. But I think if you can get there, it's actually easier to get to than having to debate or to have a conversation or call someone in. Um, Wow. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, that can be incredibly. A change of a change of subject is quite loud too, like a quite a a well-placed silence for a beat and then a change of subject because it really 
it's a non-verbal signal that I don't want to talk about this and I don't want to respond to that. And I don't, I didn't green light it because often we green light things without knowing, you know, like we laugh and we give a green light. As a woman, I've given the green light to a man before who said something sexist by laughing because I was so uncomfortable. Mm. So it was much more comfortable for me to just be silent and then change the subject, you know, with a kind of neutral tone. Um, and I've also said, oh, that makes me uncomfortable and then change the subject. I think, because there's got to be starting points, isn't there? I mean, you're so far down, um, you know, or far ahead, really. Yeah, with, yeah. With stuff, but for some people just starting out who are feeling a bit nervous about it, it's always good to have some, some start points. Are you seeing more of these conversations happening? Um, are you hearing positive outcomes um, from people who potentially haven't um, haven't done this before and it, it's a brand new thing for them? I'm definitely seeing... It's hard to tell whether what I'm seeing is, is a real representation, right, because of the work I'm in, because of the people who may contact me and talk to me about these things. Um, I'd be lying if I said, you know, the London activism space and the Melbourne activism space are a representation of the UK in general and Australia in general. Um, but I'm definitely seeing more people in dominant groups trying to approach these kinds of things. I'm definitely seeing people trying to have the conversations more, whether they feel confident, they feel like they're doing a great job is a different conversation, but I'm seeing people try and show up in different ways. And in my work, like my recent work, I'm training in facilitation and we're seeing organizations in schools. I'm seeing BE go into schools with young men and I'm seeing tomorrow man and tomorrow woman here in Australia go into schools and have conversations. And the power of the, the, the facilitation, the conversations they're holding around these types of topics, the transformation happening in the rooms is, is just phenomenal. And it, it's a brilliant, there's an amazing documentary actually I'd love to shout out because it will give you exactly, you watch it and go, oh, this is everything we talked about. It's called The Feminist in Cell Block Y. And it's the story of Richard Reseda, a 22-year-old incarcerated man in California. Um, he's in a prison, a really, really um, full, terrifying, uh, unethical prison in California. And he starts to read Bell Hooks, uh, The Will to Change. And he becomes really enamored with black feminist literature and and the readings and learnings around how patriarchy and toxic masculinity, these kind of three rules of getting money, getting women um, and violence um, have actually got him to where he is now and got a lot of the men around him in prison to where they are now. This idea of what kind of man they have to be and then enacting violence as a way to assert that. And he starts to teach uh, wow. or facilitate, I should say, feminist anti-patriarchy workshops with the other incarcerated men in the prison. And you, you watch him facilitate these conversations with men that society have, have has told us, you know, are the worst people possible that could never be able to understand these things, and they get it. And you see these men taking these lessons forward. They now have like I think there's 22 prisons in America doing it. I think there's a an alumni or a, a network of 22,000 people. They've changed four laws. He changed a law from inside prison. Wow. And the way in which he holds these conversations is what we're talking about. So if you ever need a, do a dose of hope to see. Uh, an environment where those conversations are being had and be like, if he can do it with them, I can do it with my uncle. Then that's yeah. the documentary to watch. <laughs> wow, that sounds amazing. And actually, so so we've got a documentary to watch. We've got bell hooks to go and read. Who else do we need to, where else do we need to go for this? Because this is really helpful. Oh gosh, there's so much. I mean, in terms of conversations around sexual violence, I would definitely look to Laura Bates for a lot of her work. Um, oh yeah, I love Laura Bates, yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's phenomenal. The way that she can, the way she speaks about these issues uh, is, is so captivating because she's able to humanise it so much, talk so much from her own perspective with those that eye language, with that kind of uh, opening hearts and minds with the stories. But she also has a really good back pocket of, data and facts to use at any given moment when appropriate not to win but to to bring home those kind of human stories so I always study people like that the way they speak and I think like just great communicators mm. um and Richie Reseda again who I've just mentioned I think is phenomenal um we have I mean I could give you 10 people and other people in the book because <laughs> they're all <laughs> amazing you, you name check the people in your book actually um yeah you've got the opportunity to so go ahead 
Yeah, we've got Arja Barber, who is writing on uh, like feminism and fast fashion. We've got uh, Ben Hurst, who's writing on um, men and feminism. Kathy Ray is writing on uh, kind of disability and the disabled people and inspiration. We have Charlie Craggs, who is one of my great friends, who's writing on the kind of transphobic narratives that are so prevalent in the UK right now. We have Daisy Gargi, who's writing on this idea that the climate change is coming, not that it's already here. Uh, we have Ioni Gamble, who's writing on fat phobia, Koa Beck writing on feminism. We have Miriam Kemphill-Hardy and Azadeh Hosseini, who's writing on uh, kind of limiting perspectives of refugees and people seeking asylum. We have Nova Reed writing on I Don't See Colour, and we have Salma El-Wadani writing on a Western view of Muslim women. So I'm super excited for you to read their chapters too, because there's some really hard-hitting fact-based chapters. I was really lucky to get an advanced copy, and I'm basically inhaling it it's it's so, <laughs> if you can inhale a book it is um, it's so so accessible it's such an easy read and you just get it straight away which is interweaving your you know your journey as a as a campaigner and being so honest and authentic about you know how you started out your stumbling box and then including these other voices um, which are so strong in each of their areas and I just think it really will help change the conversations I know you were saying not not one book's going to do this um, but it is absolutely part part of the change I can't thank you enough uh, for coming on to chat to us about it um, and for pulling it together it's fantastic Oh, that's so kind. Thank you so much. I'm in this strange pre-release period of like, oh no, what have I done? Why have I written this? <laughs> so I'm so appreciate that. And I really do believe in the project. And the, the fact that you mentioned how accessible it is, is so important to me because I think we can become um, really smart and full of great ideas. But when I was starting this work, like I just couldn't read anyone's stuff because I just felt like I, I was too intimidated to do it and I didn't have all the language. And so anything I can create that brings more people into the this space of questioning these dominant narratives is like only a good thing. Absolutely. I mean, this book is literally for everyone. I love that. I'm so glad that's kind of what I hoped. And also hearing you say as well as, you know, the poster girl for the person who we think does have the words for all of this to hear you say at times you've felt like you didn't know where to start and then to know where you are now that is really heartening as well and actually while we're while we're on our we love you Gina truck um also just for anyone who maybe hasn't had a chance to get their order in on the book yet but wants more information obviously your socials are just an absolute goldmine of useful insight as well. I really, really liked, see, I, I, I like a process. And when I, I saw one of your posts about how to respond to toxic masculinity online specifically, mm-hmm. and I loved that. So for anybody listening, you know, and this is something that, you know, is coming up time and time again, just seeing a flow chart of, of what people can do, I just thought was absolutely genius. Thank you. Do you have um, anything else that you want to share with listeners who are finding it difficult to start these awkward conversations I would just like to say be patient and play the long game both with yourself and a little bit with other people I would say center yourself in this like recognize yourself in this first what do you need to do and learn about how do you need to resource yourself to be able to start to tackle these conversations and and find them easier and I think a lot of that looks like spending time with the writing, with the documentaries, with the podcasts. Tell your brain, because your brain needs to be told, that you're not making this stuff up, that you're not wrong about how you feel when you hear these gendered phrases, um, that you act, that it's completely a normal reaction to living in a patriarchy that we're living in to feel like you want to cry when you respond. And, and help your brain by surrounding it with the Laura Bateses, with these documentaries, with these podcasts, with Emma Dabry, with, you know, really feed your brain because the more you feed it on these things that really do affect your life, the more when you're faced with one of these phrases, you'll be able to respond coolly because your brain will know it's not making it up. I am right about this. This is real. And I do have something to say. Very well put. So people trying uh, to get your book. Absolutely. Yep. Um, You can get my book from any of your classic good 
of booksellers. Um, I would recommend smaller bookshops. Please support your local small bookshops. Um, I know it's easy to go on the big ones, but please don't. It comes out on July 27th um, and you can get it anywhere. And I hope you love it. And I'll be doing a bunch of events in London, um, if you can come to any of those. And also in Bath, Liverpool and Manchester, big up the north. Um, yes, we're having a Northwest Fest today. <laughs> all Northwest girls. So, um, yeah, we, we were, uh, we're bonding over our, our all of our Liverpoolian roots. Yeah, <laughs> always. Thank you very much, Gina. And we hope that Australia treats you well. And we look forward to having you back in the UK soon. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Gina. Take care. Thanks. Bye. So, chat with Gina Martin. What did you think? Well, as you can probably tell, um, I'm a bit of a fangirl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hopefully that didn't come across too much but I have been following what Gina's been working on since she started it really mm. um and I remember actually when she was she said it was a after she said it was really nice to be able to talk about the book and rather than the upskirting stuff but the upskirting stuff is where you know she first came to prominence and that's the where I uh, first heard of her and started seeing what she was doing and I thought it was mm really inspiring what this young woman's doing something had been done to her and she uh, she was just like that's okay and to the point where I'm going to change the law um and I remember at the time as well I think it might have been during lockdown or maybe just pre-lockdown um and she was trying to get this law through with um with one of the liberal democrats MPs and then this uh, I don't know if you're going to remember this this Tory MP stood up for shouted object as they were trying to get the bill passed hmm. and he's called Sir Christopher Chope so he had no reason to object so after this uh, after this happened in our household if somebody did something daft or hmm. stupid or annoying it was known as doing a chope Oh yeah. really? Oh, don't do a joke. Come on. Um, but yeah, so I, I've been following her, and also kind of like how she's evolved. She she alluded to it in the podcast uh, with regards to kind of like recognizing that she was coming um, at feminism feminism from a very white um, kind of able bodied cis heterosexual etc. Uh, standpoint. Mm. So and then how she's been learning. Um, how to kind of manage the intersections um and and you know mm. also uplift other voices um and or listen to other voices so that's been really interesting to watch and she i mean i'm gonna have to listen to that all back again probably more than once because there is so much in there she talks quite fast doesn't she and um so the content, there's so much content in there and there's so much interesting stuff that she's trying to get across because she's talking about big issues. She's talking about these huge mm. kind of, you know, long-standing uh, problems in our society um, and how we can try to start to unpick some of these really um unhelpful and harmful phrases that may seem harmless but actually just reinforce um you know negative patterns in our society and, and behavior and i honestly i find it so interesting to, to listen to her um her humility as well in like talking about the stumbling mm. blocks that she's had um i think that's really interesting and there's a few things that really stood out for me one was this thing about because i'm really interested in the physical uh manifestations of anxiety with the when you're having these difficult conversations like mm. how do you feel how you are feeling will definitely uh, affect how ably you can get your point across or how you can approach conversation yeah. so her talking about living under this constant threat and your nervous system being heightened um and then the ways in which she deals with um those kind of problems when she's addressing people um i found those takeaways really really interesting um and then that just just really simple stuff for those of us who might be you know have heard that we should perhaps be opening up these conversations but have no idea where to start and it's not our natural space we mm. can't all be gina martin 
So these kind of really simple things like, um, are you safe to do this right now? Do you have the Mm. energy to do this right now? And you supply a message that you believe in and you're not looking to win the argument or you're not looking to change the world in one kind of or change your family's views or your workplace's policies in one conversation you are simply supplying a message that you believe in or experience you've had or that those close to you or other people kind of in your community or those outside of your community to try and you know help help everybody she says it's about you know us helping each other um really really interesting i liked her stuff Uh, sorry i'm wanging on i knew i would um uh, I, I, I can't help myself. I, the stuff about toxic masculinity. I was really glad she brought that up um, because it's yeah. a phrase having two boys that I sometimes struggle with. Um, and uh, for any listeners who don't like that phrase, I read the best thing, um, and I cannot remember who it was. I'm so sorry who who put it out there, but they were like, look at it like this: like masculinity is cake. Toxic masculinity is toxic cake. You want the cake. Yeah. The cake is good. You don't want the toxic cake. So, and no. it's just such a simple way of putting it, but it's, it, it's to make clear that we're not, or, you know, this kind of movement and this conversation about toxic masculinity is not about um, masculinity per se. It's about something much more mm-hmm. harmful. And actually, um, Speaking of that, when we get onto podcasts, I'm really interested to listen to Rylan. Rylan? Rylan. Mm. Rylan. Rylan's podcast um, where he's exploring that. But before we get onto podcasts, mm. and I know that you're probably going to wang as well because she was so fantastic. <laughs> um, how did you find our chat with Gina? Oh, I mean, it was just glorious. Absolutely glorious and for I, I can't remember if we talked about this while we were recording or not but for anyone listening all three of us were on sort of slightly strange t- and different time zones and levels of sleep <laughs> deprivation um so it was, it was a really mad way to to start first thing in the morning with this really quite intense conversation but I was just utterly utterly gripped and it was honestly felt like such a privilege to be in her company and just experiencing her, just experiencing yeah, her yeah. actually was just brilliant. And again, I know I always wang on about it, but with every single one of these podcasts, the thing that I am most uplifted by is just the tangible practical advice that I feel that I get from every single one of these chats and I really hope that other people listening to them get that as well um so my ones that really jumped out at me um this idea about calling it out versus calling Mm. it in oh that was that was a revelation for me because I've not, I've not come across that term before. And I just thought, yes, oh my goodness me. You know, from my personal perspective, the fact that, you know, I talked about it on the podcast, I find it really difficult to call things out. And that makes me churn Mm. up inside. I think, oh, you know, I need to grow a backbone and and be a stronger advocate than I, than I sometimes am. Um, And so finding that for me was a game changer, just, finding using that as your template of that's where that's where the conversation starts you know that's your that's your Mm -hmm. opener to be able to just gently question somebody because not only are you likely to get a better outcome it's you know it just sort of puts everybody else in a slightly safer more constructive space rather than building on that kind of oppositional starting point. Yeah. That makes sense. And and for me, that just, that just lit up so many things in my brain in terms of next time I find myself in those conversations, which I have to say, I'm I'm quite lucky touch word that I haven't really found myself come up against that kind of stuff. I mean, you're in Liverpool, you work in the charity sector and the arts so I'm guessing it's a pretty kind of 
it's pretty cozy inclusive (laughs) it's it's yeah exactly yeah and I'm very lucky and very privileged to be in that situation but um but I have witnessed somebody be absolutely phenomenal at calling it in as it were and uh, I won't name her at the moment because she's a public figure and I really want to get her on the podcast as a future guest um I know I know it will be revealed if we manage to get her on but she's I know I know but she's really good and it was so nice to witness that in action and it's one of those things that's really stayed with me that oh that's how you do it that's how you do it in a in a politely challenging but not confrontational way um which is sort of like my little safe space. Um, And along with that, this points around, you don't have to go out all guns blazing, but nor do you need to green light something either. And I just thought, yes, 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 yes. Mm -hmm. That's, that's exactly it, isn't it? You know, just making sure. And that points around silence. um, When someone said something, and actually the power of silence and what that can do in terms of making your point heard without having to utter a single thing. I thought, oh, that's clever, Gina (laughs) Martin. Thank you very much. Yes, I will be taking that forward as well. Um, And finally, again, you know, this point around, um, I think I mentioned it while we were chatting anyway, but just um, how helpful it is to hear somebody like her say, it's it's okay to 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 view this as an evolving process and you're not always going to get it right mm-hmm. and that's okay too um and so hearing that from her as well is is nice as well just to kind of feel that you know doing ju- we just need to keep on yeah. keeping on and 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 again you know this thing that's right at the beginning of her book about don't expect to change the world with one conversation but still have the conversation so um yeah those were those are my key ones which I thoroughly Yeah enjoyed. I I also like the the silencing I just think maybe if I could raise one eyebrow that would just help that a little um I, I might <laughs> practice that um so we we mentioned <laughs> Rylan and the podcast that I'm going to be hunting down mm. um of his what um podcast have you been listening to recently um i've been going through a diary of a ceo which is hosted by steven bartlett you know the guy Mm -hmm. from dragon's den oh he's got such a lovely voice i find him i mean he says really interesting stuff but a bit like the guests we have on this podcast it's like oh just really enjoying you know just listening to to your voice actually Mm. and and taking something from that so um yeah they're really long which again in the right you know in the right moments can actually be be really helpful as well and again it's sort of they're more kind of full house clean rather than just loading the dishwasher yeah yes there we go yeah absolutely (laughs) absolutely or a very long drive alone (laughs) which is quite unusual but nonetheless (laughs) I know I know yeah. So are there any others apart from Ryland's one? Uh, yeah. So uh, today I was listening to Oh God, What Now? Which is a f- oh, fabulously profane um, podcast on politics. Well, it like was it today anyway. <laughs> uh, I love a bit of profanity, especially with posh accents. Um, so <laughs> it's not slow, like politics news wise, as you know, I love those type of podcasts. So um, yeah, it was really, really good. And then the other one that I've been listening to, again, Mothers of Invention was the only podcast I listened to uh, for a long time. And I cannot recommend it enough it is absolute Ooh. gold it's about um so it's hosted by Maeve Higgins um Mary Robinson both from Ireland one's a comedian the other one is the ex-president of Ireland um and also Tamali uh Kodikara who's the producer and they talk to these most incredible people mostly women who are um tackling climate change and like climate change is such a huge uh overwhelming area and people Mm. often won't want to listen to a podcast about climate change because it's on our doorstep it's happening and it's you know it can feel 
very uh, scary. But this podcast is such a beacon of hope. It's talking to these uh, a lot of Indigenous people and what they are doing um, in their communities and like really grand scale stuff. I mean, they are really, you know, these women are making such positive change. And not only that, but the dynamic between Maeve and Mary Robinson is absolutely hilarious because... Mm. Um, yeah, you you kind of it's hard to describe. You have to listen to it to get it. But their dynamic, made being a comedian, is just fabulous. So it's very light. It's very mm. interesting. Um, and I'm wanging again, so I do apologise. This is quite a wangy outro, but I, I <laughs> cannot recommend that podcast enough. Oh, I like the sound of that. I'll get onto that one. Lovely stuff. Fabulous. Well, I think we probably um, our listeners is maybe we've wanged. <laughs> we have. <laughs> um, we've been down under, and then we've done some. We've had a wangathon. So um, let's uh, wrap it up. Wang off. Wang off. <laughs> we are wanging off <laughs> together. Bye. Bye. See you next time. Thank you for listening to This Is Awkward, the podcast about how to have difficult conversations. We hope you enjoyed the show. You can find us on Instagram at Awkward Podcast, or you can email us at hello at thisisawkward.co.uk. Please do hit follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And five-star reviews will also help us expand our audience as we tackle life's most challenging chats. The content of this show is not meant to take the place of professional help, such as clinical and counselling support. Please do contact your healthcare provider, HR team, other professional body or a reputable charity to seek proper help for yourself if you've been affected by any of the issues in our show. Until next time. Take care, everyone.